Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. Hey, greetings to you, music lovers, thrill seekers, conversationalists all across the fruited plain. Here we are, Rush Limbaugh and the famed EIB Network and the noted distinguished Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Studies of Everything That Matters. No, no degrees, no graduates, because the... Learning never stops, although the mayor of Florida, Ron DeSantos, continues to lobby for an honorary degree, and we have this under continued uh, advisement. Pro- governor, governor, yeah, that probably will happen uh, in uh, in a mere matter of time. Uh, here's the phone number if you want to be in the program, 800-282-2882, the email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. Okay, uh, let, let me start uh, with an attempt <clears throat> still still remnants of the flu, but everything is fine, folks. I, 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 I need to find a way beyond what I've already done to express my heartfelt gratitude and, and thanks and appreciation for the outpouring that continues to come in from people. I can't, I can't respond to all of it, and I'm starting to feel guilty about it. Because so many people are sending me, people that, that I haven't heard from in I don't know how long, and and finding a way to reach me, finding a way to get through to me, and I'm, I'm reading these notes, and it's, it's, it's so voluminous, I can't respond to it all. I'm, I try, but I lose ground so quickly, and then I start feeling guilty that I don't respond, because people are taking some of these notes that you're sending, most of them are so heartfelt, they are so intimately detailed. It's because of that. I can't tell you how much it means to me. I I can't. I wish I I knew how. Uh, I'm thinking there are more prayers for me in this country than than can be counted, than can be tabulated. And I just am confident as heck that they matter, that they're effective. So please accept this as an ongoing and never-ending thank you to everybody. And please be confident that more than likely I'll see what you send me, even if I, if I don't have a chance to respond to it all. And one little housekeeping thing. I have not been openly clear about the procedure that I have opted for. And so because of my numerous absence over the past three weeks, a lot of people have assumed things. And I want to try to fix that, too. It's no big deal. And I'm not going to get intimately detailed because, as this Mayor Pete thing shows, the drive-by media just refuses to get it right about me. In fact, they purposely distort. They knee-jerk react and say things or accuse me of saying things and doing things I haven't said or done. And so I'm not going to get into any detail because the, the a it's nobody's business. B it would it would ignite all kinds of untold investigation. The only thing I'm going to tell you is I haven't yet begun treatment. Now the reason I haven't begun treatment is that the kind of treatment I have chosen requires me to be an ox everywhere else in my body. And so I have been undergoing for the past month or three weeks, whatever the length of time is. Interrupted by the flu and interrupted by a necessary medical procedure, I have been undergoing tests to determine my physical strength throughout the rest of my body in order to be able to withstand 
what they're going to throw at me. And no, it is not dogworm medicine. I actually had somebody suggest that, but that's that's not what it is. And so I've I've uh, think I'm going to be cleared for it. It's kind of it's kind of uh, well, frustrating is the wrong word. But as I've undergone these medical exams, and these have been rigorous, exhausting uh, medical exams and tests, I have found that I am the picture of health everywhere else in my glorious and lovely body, which is a good thing because those reservoirs and reserves apparently will, but maybe, I mean, side effects and so forth are not known until you actually begin. Uh, But it's state-of-the-art. It is uh, nothing that I am missing by not talking to every expert in the world. I've been anticipating this. I've had a a team of doctors assemble for quite a while. And so this this course of action, if if, uh, the battery of tests that were completed last week come in with flying colors today, then we'll, we'll, the treatment will start this week. Uh, so I don't – the only reason I'm telling you this is because people continue. So how are you reacting? Is the treatment working? It hasn't started yet, folks. There have been a number of things. It would have if it, if it hadn't had the flu for a week. You get to stop everything while that happened. And then I needed a related surgical medical procedure which also delayed by a week uh, the, the ongoing testing and the, and the necessary discovery to see if I can withstand, if my body can withstand what they're going to throw at this. feel very confident about it. Uh, and I'd love to give you the details. It's just that uh, some things have to remain private. And after I, if I would divulge details, these clowns in the media would get hold of it and totally distort it on purpose and those of you who had not heard me explain it would get a completely distorted view, no doubt, about what I had said. It's really, it's really fascinating that you cannot, something like me, most conservatives in the media cannot rely on anybody else to report what they have said, what we have said accurately and honestly. This is Mayor Pete stuff. Well, I think the main reason the drive-bys went batty over this, I didn't lecture Mayor Pete on anything. I didn't say anything anti-gay. I didn't even offer an opinion of my own. I was asking people to analyze, asking people to imagine how the Democrat power base was looking at their options after the Hawkeye Hawkeye and the New Hampshire primary. I'll replay the bite for you. It takes about two minutes to go through, but at no point was there a lecture of Mayor Pete on family values or anything else. At no point was there a condemnation of me. In fact, I'm the reason Mayor Pete's on the map. I'm the guy after a CNN town hall at South by Southwest in 2000, whatever it was, let's see, this is 19. I'm the guy that came here. Snurdly's been mad at me from the get-go. For the, I'm the guy that came here, told you all, be... On the lookout for Mayor Pete. I saw him. I thought he performed well in a town hall. I thought he expressed his opinions well. He did a great job of hiding his liberal extremism, which is what leftists have to do in primaries in order to go out and get as broad a base as they can. Uh, he had to activate the... Uh, it, 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 was, it was on first, I think, in the Tulsi Gabbard. No, Tulsi was first. 
and then it was a two hours, and I was made to watch this. I had a guest in for a member guest golf tournament. It was in March or whatever year this would have been. It has to be the last year or two. And the guest, a noted TV anchor, said, I've got to watch this. I said, come on, man. It's Saturday night. I don't want to watch CNN and these, these schlubs. I got to. So fired up the big 100-inch screen 4K TV and dialed in CNN, watched Mayor, Keith, Mayor Pete. And I said, you know, this guy pretty smooth. Next day, Monday, came to the program, warned everybody, be on the lookout for Mayor Pete. He's on the map because of me. At no time. Have I lectured Mayor Pete? At no time have I opined on Mayor Pete as to what I think at all. But since you know what this really is about, folks, I'll tell you what this is really the main reason. Hell, the president even called me about this. The president checks in every now and then to see how I'm doing. He's such a nice guy. And he called. It's uncanny. I'm on. Do I respond to him? Yeah. No, I try to reply to all of them, Don. I'm, I'm not going to be able to, but he calls. And, yeah, you, you, a powerful, influential member of the media, folks. I've got the White House private number in my phone. So when the White House calls, it says there on my phone. And so invariably, it's uncanny. He calls when I am moments away from commencing a medical procedure. And I had to tell doctors, you've got to give me a half hour, the president's calling. Okay, well, wait a half hour. Then I told the White House, look, i got a medical procedure in 10 minutes. Uh, uh, can, you, can, can you have the president call me back in 35? And they did. So he called back. And uh, he said, Russia, I just got to tell you something. Never apologize. No, never. I said, for what? Well, I had no idea this thing had even bubbled up. You know, I'm up doing the medical thing that I have to do here. And I wasn't even aware of this. So here's what I think's going on. Then I became aware of it. And Catherine's, oh, yeah, they're all over you. It's the usual thing. They're saying you said things you didn't say. All you had to do, Rush, was mention somebody is gay. And here they come. You're a homophobe. And that's exactly what this is. I think what set the drive-bys in the media off and in Washington, I think they are mad about my remarks about Mayor Pete because I think, they think, a lot of people didn't know that he's gay. I'm talking about the low-information voters, the great unwashed. I think they think that there's a lot of people that don't know he's gay and that I sort of dropped a dime on it and let people who otherwise didn't know that Mayor Pete is gay is gay. I think that's what they're really mad about, that I even mentioned it. You're not supposed to mention it. Why aren't you supposed to mention it? Why didn't you answer that yourself? I mean, the drive-bys, as I've, as I've read what they've said and as I've uh, replayed, I've got transcripts of audio sound bites and montages. They even seem to be afraid that I might have revealed that news to a lot of low-information voters for the first time. Now, I'm looking at people on the other side of the glass, snurdly, 
Brian and Dawn. And they're looking at me, no, it can't be that. And you know why they think? Because they know he's gay, so they think everybody must believe he's gay. But I'm telling you, there has to be a reason for this. Well, no, well, I know they're mad that I got the Medal of Freedom, but this is, and, and they've been looking for a way to lash back. And so here they come along, and all I happen to say was, if you're the Democrat Party today, and these are your three options, based on the returns from Iowa and New Hampshire. How are you feeling about this? And then I went through the whole thing. And from the perspective of Democrat power brokers. So I mentioned that Mayor Pete is gay. And bam, that's all it took. And here, Limbaugh, racist, bigot, sexist, homophobe. Decades and decades of negative comments, besmirching comments, inhumane comments. It just flows out of their mouth and across their lips like water. It is it is knee jerk. They didn't even have to take the time to find out what I was really saying. What it was, just like I said last week, talking about Biden, when I told you from the get go, I never thought the guy was going to win. I said, it's not personal. I'm being against Biden. I'm giving you straight political analysis here. It's exactly what I was doing uh, with with this Mayor Pete situation. Mayor Pete's out there. So I'm not going to be lectured to on family values. Why well, didn't lecture him on family values? I didn't lecture anybody on family values. And they all they all know this. So now they're going to take these comments and further distort these. This is you know this is why I don't like responding to this stuff. But what the hell? Uh, this is something that. Uh, those of you who were listening know the truth and know how it was distorted. Those of you who weren't, who are now listening, uh, deserve to have it known. Uh, I'll go through the comments that I made afterwards. And, and and by the way, if you keep listening, you will find out. Do you know who James Clyburn is, folks? James Clyburn, a former chairman of the uh, House Congressional Black Caucasians from South Carolina. His daughter is named Mignon Clyburn. And he agreed with me, not by name. He didn't say, uh, Rush Limbaugh, right. He said exactly what I said the Democrat hierarchy was going to say after the results in Iowa and New Hampshire. He proves my point. But the drive-bys and the leftist thing, and and the, the, the there's a an activist gay community I have it here in the stories and the stack of stuff. They're mad at Mayor Pete because he's trying to undersell it. They're mad at Mayor Pete because he's not flaunting who he is. So, point is, El Rushbo anti-gay could care less. Nothing I can do about it anyway. Didn't lecture anybody on family values. Would not do so on this program, simply was engaging in political analysis that is politically incorrect as far as the left is concerned. You're simply not, a conservative is not permitted to identify a gay candidate as gay. These people need to be thanking me. Mayor Pete is on the map because of me. And himself, of course, obviously, but he's on the map because of me. I guarantee you, after that appearance on CNN at South by Southwest a year and a half ago, whenever it was, and I came here the following month, I said, folks, keep a sharp eye out for Mayor Pete. I'll guarantee that was a great day in Mayor Pete's campaign. Wow, did you hear what Limbaugh said? Limbaugh said, keep a sharp eye on Mayor Pete. Right. 
All right, let me take a brief time out. My friends, we're off and running. We are scorched today. The EIB Network and El Rush Bowl right back after this. March 18th, 2019, Mayor Pete, CNN, South by Southwest. That, a couple days after that, is when I put Mayor Pete on the map. Uh, by the way, just a little housekeeping thing I forgot to mention. We have on our, on our homepage at RushLimbaugh.com, we have uh, started a section called Special Note for Rush. It's just a, a gateway for anybody who doesn't have uh, any other way of reaching us to send a quick note if you are so inclined. Not asking for them, making it available to you if you wish. Love hearing from you. Don't misunderstand. It's called Special Notes for Rush on the, uh, on the webpage. We check, them. we check them frequently. Now, my friends, do not doubt me. When I tell you that the primary reason to drive by is now you can argue that I got the Medal of Freedom. Yeah, that's going to bug them for the rest of their lives. But the, there's another reason why they're ticked off at me and they're trying to besmirch me in this Mayor Pete stuff. And it is the fact that there's a lot of primary voters out there that do not know he is gay. And you may think, Rush, that's absolutely absurd. I have here in my formerly... Put it up on the dental cam, Brian. Here's a headline, NBC News. This goes back to the 5th of February. Iowa caucus goer pulls Buttigieg vote after learning is gay. Viral video shows. And then there's a picture of this voter. And I'm not going to put the picture of the voter on the dental cam. The Time magazine cover didn't do it, nor did the March appearance on The View or one year's worth of digital and television news stories. It wasn't until Monday night, after casting her caucus vote for Mayor Pete, that an Iowa Democrat caucus voter known only as Geert first learned that he's gay and married a guy in 2018. Are you saying that he has a same-sex partner, the woman says in the video? Then she goes and asks for her vote for Mayor Pete back. Now, don't doubt me, my friends. When I tell you that one of the, you know, aside from the Medal of Freedom business, which is going to be a constant <laughs> thorn <laughs> in their side that's never going to go away, believe me, the reason that the Democrats in the media and in Washington are really mad about my remarks about him is because there's a lot of Democrat primary voters who don't know that Mayor Pete is gay. What, it, what, it, it wasn't even my intention never occurred to me. But now that now I think about the coverage over the last few weeks, it seems to me the media would like us to forget that Mayor Pete is uh, is gay, and it's, it's kind of, that in itself is um, is kind of puzzling. At any rate, I got to think of the break here. As time just races by, we'll be right back. Rush Limbaugh executing assigned host duties flawlessly because I do the assigning. You're the EIB Network. Great to have you. 800-282-2882. Just just a couple more things in this Mayor Pete business. I want to move on. Uh, what one thing is, don't you find it a little strange? And I look when 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 Obama won the Democrat nominee. Oh my Lord, what a great day! Why, what a great progressive day! What a great day for America! We have finally, we've finally matured. We have come to the point in our history we can embrace an African American as a primary uh, major party nominee for president. Great, 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 great day. <laughs> 
Uh, when Hillary Clinton gets a nomination, Democrat, oh, what a great day. A woman has finally proceeded to the glass ceiling. Isn't it a great day? We are overcoming our bigotry. So Mayor Pete wins Iowa. They say nothing about the fact that Mayor Pete is gay and it represents such a major, major step forward, a major progressive step forward, overcoming bigotry, racism, whatever it is. Silence. No mention of it. Then Mayor Pete, competitive close in New Hampshire, no mention of it. Anybody, anybody curious why that is? Well, I could go back. I could tell you why. I can tell you exactly what I told you. Bite takes two minutes to play, so I'm not going to do it. But the comments I got the drive-bys all fired up were last Wednesday. So here you are. You're the Democrats. You've just had an absolute chaos of a disaster in Iowa terms of your caucus and your vote counting and all this stuff. The Russians got in there and messed everything up. Then you learn that the DNC was in charge of the app that got messed up. And Mayor Pete's the winner, but nobody's sure. Then you go to New Hampshire, Crazy Bernie. So you got Crazy Bernie, the top three, Crazy Bernie, Mayor Pete, and Amy Klobuchar. So you're the Democrats. Over here, you got Donald Trump, who is a well-known quantity. Everybody now knows exactly who Trump is and how he is and what he is, and he's formidable. You're leading the Democrats, okay? You got Amy Klobuchar. Well, she's not going to go anywhere, and we don't want Amy Klobuchar to be nominee because she's going to lose. That means two women in a row would lose. We can't handle that. Then you get Mayor Pete, who I said has made a practice of hugging and kissing his husband on the stage. Democrats looking at that, you're going to measure that up against Donald Trump. I uh, don't know how that's going to fall out. don't know how that's going to look. Then you go to Crazy Bernie. He said, oh, no, you've got a mad scientist socialist communist. I said, the Democrats are panicking. They have no options here. And that's the thrust, uh, essence of what I said. And here comes all the, any gay bigotry, Limbaugh, typical of the mealy mouth, mean-spirited extreme. All I was doing was engaging in smart, unique political analysis, detailing the problems Democrats have with either Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, or Crazy Bernie, or now Bloomberg. Wait, wait till we get into this. Bloomberg, what, what? All the stuff that's being discovered about Bloomberg. This guy is a big, folks, this myth that billionaires are brilliant. They may be at one or two things, but they are not massive, triumphant examples of a brilliant IQ. This guy says some of the stupidest stuff and has said some of the stupidest stuff and done some of the stupidest stuff over the course of his political and business career that you can imagine. And it's all been kept under the radar. Now it's starting to surface. You talk about misogyny? There isn't a conservative in the country that can hold a candle to the misogyny of people on the left like uh, Weinstein and Bloomberg. Now his comments about farmers... That he could teach anybody to be a farmer? Yeah, all you got to you grab a seed, you go get some dirt, you dig a hole, you put the seed in the dirt, you pour water on the, on, on, on the dirt, and up comes the corn, and you're a farmer. 
He doesn't even know that there are agricultural universities teaching farming. He puts it down, slams people to do it, but claims if you're in information technology, why, that requires real intelligence, like Bloomberg. He will then talk about how a Chinese communist dictator has to answer to his constituents, his voters. A communist dictator doesn't have voters or constituents. He's got political prisoners, essentially. They're called citizens sometimes. But people who live in dictatorships are political prisoners. They're certainly not constituents. And he's out there talking about Xi Jinping, the Chinese premier, as though he's no different than an American president in terms of having to keep his people happy. It's it's, 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 it's amazing. Now, Bloomberg trying to overcome all this misogyny by talking about maybe putting Hillary Clinton on the ticket? Bring it all. I mean, this, and no matter where you look, Crazy Bernie is still cleaning up in every poll. I know Biden was too. But that party is an absolute mess. And don't you think it's somewhat fascinating that a true groundbreaking candidate like Mayor Pete has to sort of be sequestered? I mean, it's a little curious. Now, here is James Clyburn, a former chairman of Congressional Black Caucasians. This was uh, Sunday morning, so that would be yesterday. CNN State of the Union. Dana Bash, who was part of the media montage bashing me with knee-jerk, insolent, puerile reactions said to Clyburn, you said to me on this program in November that Mayor Booty Judge will have trouble with older African-American... And by the way, this, this, folks, this is why, they, South Carolina is why the Democrats don't want people to know Mayor Pete's gay. Not yet. South Carolina is why. Heavy African-American vote there. Biden's counting on it. A lot of Democrats are. This is why they're not shouting to the rooftops about Mayor Pete. And this is what this is what Clyburn is going to confirm here for. So Dana Bash says, you said to me on this program in November that Mayor Booty Judge will have trouble with older African-American voters in South Carolina because he's gay. He's done really well in Iowa. He's done really well in New Hampshire. As voters learn more about him, do you think they will still feel that way? I grew up in the fundamentalist Christian church. My father was a pastor there. My grandfather was a pastor. I know what takes place in fundamental Christian churches throughout the country. And so, though I may feel differently, I don't adhere to everything that was taught in the church I I grew up in. I still feel uh, that that is a a problem, uh, and we all have been reading uh, what has been said in the last uh, 24 hours about that. Now, why is nobody outraged by that? Why didn't Dana Bash jump down this guy's throat when he told her that basically Mayor Pete's sexuality is a problem among Democrat voters in South Carolina? Why aren't all the drive-bys asking about this? Why aren't all the drive-bys out t- t- taking James Clyburn to the to the witch? Well, we know the reason. We know why. I'm asking the question rhetorically. 
But Clyburn's comments here prove that what I said was right on the money, 100% right. The Democrat establishment is worried about this. And here I come along, basically talking about how Mayor Pete's gay and he cugs, kisses his husband on the stage. Can't have that. Not going into South Carolina. So now it descends. I'm not going to be lectured to on family values by Rush. I didn't even engage in lecturing Mayor Pete on anything. Never have. Let me grab a quick call before the next break. This is Joe in Denver. I'm glad that you waited, sir. Welcome. Hi. Hey, Rush. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, You know, I'm a gay Republican, former Democrat, voted for President Obama twice. And I spent the weekend defending you to my liberal Democratic cadre of friends. And I told them exactly what you said. I said Rush was not making a judgment about Mayor Pete. He wasn't making a judgment about gay people or two people kissing. He was merely saying that there is a conservative portion of the Democratic electorate that may not be comfortable with nominating a gay person. And a reminder of that, Mayor Pete kissing his husband every chance he gets, uh, is, is, is not going to sit well with a certain portion. And I said, you know, if you remember back to 2016, I'm sorry, 2008, when Prop 8 passed in California, largely because African Americans turned out to vote for President Obama and they weren't comfortable with the idea of gay marriage. Right. Well, what did you, what did you, any kind of, what did your friends say not, when you explained the truth to them? Yeah, yeah. They well, they said, "Oh, he's a bigot. He's a racist. How can you listen to that guy? And he's such a jerk." And blah 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 blah. Yeah. I said, "Listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. He was merely making an." They can't afford to listen to what I said, Joe, because then they'd have to face the fact that they're the bigots, or they right. wouldn't call themselves right. that. But they'd have to face the fact that they've been lied to about me and what I think and say and so forth. But I appreciate the yeah. fact that you took them on, nevertheless. I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I want to say one last thing. Right? Yeah, We're what's all that? For you, and, 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 and I ask the Holy Spirit to put his hand of healing over you, just like I ask him to put the healing hand or protective hand over President Trump every every night. So I, we're all praying for you. We're rooting for you and, and keep on the fight. Thank you very much. Look, I this is what I was addressing at the beginning of the of the program. I uh, I don't have a way to accurately or well, that's not even the word properly thank everybody or even acknowledge everybody. But it's overwhelming. It literally is uh, is overwhelming what people are are doing. And folks, let me just touch. I feel great. I I know I sound great as always. Uh, I, I I feel absolutely fine, uh, and and have throughout all this, except for when I had the flu and I did the medical procedure uh, to facilitate what's next. But I feel absolutely great. Um, so I pre I I think I think. All of this outpouring of love and support is already having an impact, a positive impact on me. I truly, truly do. And quick time out. We'll be back and continue after this. And we are back. Rush Limbaugh, half my brain tied behind my back, just as always. Just to be fair, here's uh, Kent, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Your next welcome, sir, to the EIB network. Hey, Rush. Thanks for taking my call. Uh the the topic of your comment uh, about Mayor Pete right. being blown out of proportion, I heard exactly what you said that very day. The next day, I go to Fox News website, which I do every morning, and it said uh, 
you know, like Rush Limbaugh's, you know, is anti-gay or says something about uh, negative about Mayor Pete. And I thought to myself, that's not what he said. It's not not even close to what he said. So I, I'm as, as in, uh, amazed at the at the media as as you and many other people are. Well, and it's, here's the know. thing: I'm not amazed by it, and and I have a you know I have a problem. I've been spending most of this hour on it. And I'm of the opinion that we've been there, done that. Um, but I've had to no, look. They've been hammering you for three days on this. They've been hammering you for almost four or five days on this. And as so many people out there have been lied to and have a misunderstanding about it, you owe it to yourself and to everybody else to straighten this out. So, okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to grab what I said. I've got the whole soundbite here. It's about a minute and 50 seconds. i got time to squeeze it, and this is going to be it. Now, I, this is kind of an interesting A-B side-by-side comparison. You've heard the attacks. Racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, limbo, mean-spirited extremist. All of this rot gut that they always say, this knee-jerk stuff. And many of you may not have heard what I said that caused all that. Well, here it is. This is last Wednesday talking about the Democrat Party who they might want to see become their nominee after the results in Iowa and New Hampshire. You're looking at your options today, and you're, <laughs> you're asking, okay, can we win with Klobuchar? We don't want to put Klobuchar up there because she doesn't have a prayer. Trump's going to wipe the floor with her, and that would mean two women in a row get wiped out by Donald Trump. Two Democrat women in a row. We can't have that. We can't let that happen. Then they're sitting there, and they're looking at Mayor Pete. 37-year-old gay guy, Mayor South Bend, loves to kiss his husband on the debate stage. And they're saying, okay, how is this going to 37-year-old gay guy kissing his husband on stage next to Mr. Man Donald Trump? What's going to happen there? And they got to be looking at that, and they've got to be saying that despite all the great progress and despite all the great wokeness and despite all the great ground that's been covered, America's still not ready to elect a gay guy kissing his husband on the debate stage president. They have to be saying this, don't they? Now, there may be some Democrats who think that is the ticket. There may be some Democrats who think that's exactly what we need to do, Rush. Get a gay guy kissing his husband on stage, you ram it down Trump's throat, and beat him in a general election. Really? <laughs> Having fun envisioning that. What are they left with? Crazy Bernie. They're left with the avowed revolutionary socialist who isn't even a Democrat. So which of those three, they want to take all three out. They would like to get rid of all three of those. The establishment of the Democrats. But if they can't, which of those three would they rather lose with? Who among those three losing will do the least damage to the Democrat Party going forward? That's what they are facing, if you ask me. Yeah, we'll get to the Attorney General, uh, William Barr, Trump, and the tweeting and all that as the program unfolds before your very eyes and ears. Can I do a time check here? I'm showing 1256.43. Is that right? Okay. Um, The... There's a story on Drudge. Betting odds soar for Bloomberg winning nomination. Biden's numbers plunge. The source is the Daily Wire, but it's real clear politics, and they monitor the betting sides. But they've buried the lead. You know what the lead of the story is? Betting odds soar for Bloomberg winning nomination. 
But what doesn't change is Donald Trump is leading everybody to win the presidency in these betting markets, no matter who the Democrat nominee is. With each passing day ahead of the 2020 United States presidential election, Donald Trump's odds to spend another four years in the White House continue to improve. At Bravada, Trump is now the minus 170 favorite to win the election, an all-time high. And yet, that that's buried. The headline is, betting odds soar for Bloomberg winning nomination. You gotta know how to learn to read the stitches on the fastball, folks. Another brief break here, top of the hour. Back and continue after this. Don't go away. Greetings and welcome back, my friends. It's uh, it's just great to have you here, and you do not know how great it is for me to be here with you. A blessing every day that it's um, possible. Telephone number if you want to be on the program, 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushball at eibnet.us. Okay, Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, we're going to get to Bill Barr, the Attorney General stuff. You know, folks, they can't do everything in three hours, as you well know. But we'll get to everything that matters. If I don't talk about it in a three-hour program, then you can figure it's not that important. And remember, there's always the next day uh, to get to things. And then again, if I fail to bring it up, some of you might on the phone. That's always possible, too. But we'll, we'll get there. Uh, and the McCabe business. This... The DOJ, they're not going to prosecute McCabe. Everybody can lie to the FBI if they're in the FBI. But if you're not in the FBI, you lie to them, you go to jail. But if you're in the FBI, you can lie to the FBI, you can lie to the inspector general, you can lie to anybody you want, and you'll be exonerated. It's just an example of the deep state doing what it does, protecting itself and sustaining itself. But let's let's go with Bloomberg here for just a second. That's up next in the stack of stuff. Uh, Bloomberg's making news for all kinds of things. He's spending money like isn't it fascinating to watch how rich guys spend their money. Bloomberg is spending his money on TV ads to try to get rid of Donald Trump. Jeff Bezos is buying mansions to impress his girlfriend. Well, he is. You take a look at the transformation of Bezos. When he started Amazon, he was a nerd. He was a warehouse geek nerd wearing two large khakis and everything else. He uh, gets married. Wife's name Mackenzie. Her parents live near here. Uh, nice people. Scores big with Amazon. Huge. Everybody knows what happens. Buys the Washington Post. Then starts having an affair with some Hollywood type. And that's it. Divorce. And here comes buying the Jack Warner estate. Buying yachts. All these other houses, dressing like you're a hipster uh, on the red carpet. Bloomberg spending his money on a woman. Uh, uh, Bezos. Bloomberg is spending his money (laughs) trying to get rid of Donald Trump. And I'm going to tell you, I'm already hearing from people who are sick and tired of Bloomberg ads where they live. We got a guy on hold here. He's going to talk about that. Bloomberg is just smothering people with TV ads. Now, among the things that Bloomberg has talked about, and folks, look, I'm going to mention this again. This is not insignificant. Here's a guy who ostensibly, theoretically, is running for president. 
But he still has to get delegates. He still has to do the things that anybody wanting the Democrat nomination is going to have to do. He's going to have to win some primaries to win delegates. He's going to have to do well on Super Tuesday. He hasn't done anything yet but buy a bunch of political ads. And since people are fascinated by billionaires, then the drive-bys are examining him and reporting on him as though he is something special and unique. I think there is a large myth surrounding wealthy people, and the myth is that they are smarter than everybody else. Now, I don't deny that they may be brilliant in a particular area that worked out where they created their wealth. I'm not, I'm not trying to impugn anything there. But look, they're just like actors and Hollywood people. They don't know what they don't know. But their wealth gives them license to pretend they know all kinds of things. And I think, here's Michael Bloomberg. Now, he used to be a Democrat, then becomes a Republican. After Giuliani, they got elected mayor of New York. Now, what did the guy do among many things? What did he do? He, he starts running a nanny state. He starts putting a limit on the size of soft drinks New Yorkers can buy. Why that didn't disqualify him immediately as one of the greatest encroachments of personal liberty and freedom, I don't know. And then after putting limits on the size of soft drinks, then he started talking about banning certain kinds of soft drinks that had things in there that he didn't like, like sugar or aspartame or whatever. This is not smart stuff. Then when I heard him talk about the dictator of the Chaikoms, Xi Jinping, as having to satisfy his constituents like any other politician, he can't go crazy. He can't do things that are going to cause problems with his constituents because he's like all of us. He has to answer to his Xi Jinping especially has set himself up as Mao Zedong Jr. Xi Jinping has essentially taken over the Communist Party apparatus. He, he is attempting to become the most powerful dictator in China since Mao. He doesn't have constituents. He doesn't care about constituents. He doesn't get elected. He takes out, he kills, like other communists do, any potential rival or enemy within the Communist Party. Now, there's a downside to doing that, though, and Mr. Xi Jinping is discovering it now. When you set yourself up as the authority, when you are the lone power broker, something like the coronavirus happens and it's all on you, buddy, there's nobody left to blame because you've taken out all of your rivals. You can't go blame the Republicans, per se, because you've killed them. You've eliminated them. So suddenly coronavirus happens. It's on you, buddy. And that matters in terms of the rest of the world, not inside China, because no matter what happens inside China, no matter what happens with the coronavirus, nobody inside China is going to get rid of Xi Jinping unless they take him out with a bullet. But nobody's going to take him out with votes. Nobody's going to take him out with constituents being upset and angry. And this, this, to me, folks, this matters. We're going to elect somebody president who doesn't even know what communism is, doesn't even know how it, how it, how it is structured. Then he teased Hillary Clinton as a potential vice president. Now, everybody knows that's a trial balloon. 
Bloomberg has to act fast if he wants to overcome Mayor Pete and uh, Klobuchar and her Klobmentum and crazy Bernie. If he really wants the Democrat nomination, he's going to have to do something fast to start getting enough delegates where he can at least try to broker a convention, if not win it outright. And Crazy Bernie isn't just going to sit there and stand aside and let it happen. Although, everybody needs to know Crazy Bernie is not a brawler. Crazy Bernie will not be able to stand in the same ring with Donald Trump. No, do not doubt me. on the, Look at what Hillary did to him. He allowed Hillary Clinton to walk all over him to steal the nomination from him, to rig the election all the way. He knew it. He's not a brawler. He is a full-fledged communist ideologue. There's a difference. He's not an organizer. He's none of these things. He's trying to survive strictly on the power of his ideology resonating with people and that that's what's going to keep him energy. But nobody thinks Crazy Bernie's a fighter. You ever heard that aspect of him described? No, no, no. nobody thinks of him as a fighter. But they, everybody knows that Trump is. So Bloomberg's got to do something here to get notes. He's got to do some shape of say, float the trial balloon that he's considering Hillary Clinton as vice president. Now, there's so many possibilities here. And let's take one of them. Just examine one of them for the moment. Every one of these people hates Donald Trump personally and viscerally because he has done something they never thought he would be able to do. Donald Trump has always been seen by the glitterati in New York as a friendly but sort of stupid huckster. He's been underestimated throughout his entire life. He's gotten his share of respect, and he has uh, he's earned his place in the New York hierarchy. But the real New York City, the real Manhattan elite, despise the guy. They hate the guy. And when he went out and ran for president and got elected, that humiliated because they think they should be able to be do that, doing that. They're the ones qualified to do that. Not Trump. He never run for anything. He gets elected. So it is personal. They despise him. Now, we know Hillary has already lost her mind with hatred over Trump, and Bloomberg is a close second here. All the money in the world will not make Bloomberg happy if Trump does something that he, Bloomberg, can't do. So something's got to give here. So he nominates or floats Hillary. One possibility is that if that were to ever work and if Bloomberg would ever get elected as president with Hillary as the VP, a lot of people would think that the deal is that she actually gets to be president while Bloomberg goes off and does what he does after having won the election. He'll be there in Washington, but she's going to have the power. That's, that's a theory I have heard bandied about over the weekend, that in order for her to do this, Bloomberg's going to have to promise her that she is going to be the de facto president. She gets to implement the ideas and the agenda while Bloomberg is the, is the figurehead. And... Knowing the people 
on this side of it, I wouldn't be surprised if, if something like that happened. But let's think about this another way. Let's think about how this plays out. You have a multi-billionaire, Doomberg, who uh, it can be demonstrated is not... I don't know how to say this because I'm not trying to be insulting. I re- I'm not. I just how how do you how do you politely say somebody's not as smart as they think they're telling you got holes in their head? What do you say about him? He just folks, he's just not. Anyway, you have a multi-billionaire who is trying to buy the presidency, wants the help of the swamp creature who purchased the steel dossier who co-founded a sham charitable organization that served as cover for the biggest pay-for-play scam the country's ever seen, the Clinton Foundation. And not only that, remember Hillary Clinton cheated Crazy Bernie out of the nomination in 2016. So let's imagine this alliance, Doomberg and Hillary who will be vaulted to this position not having had to win anything because she's proven that she can't. She becomes Bloomberg's Veep after entering no primaries, after having spent no money, after having not gotten a single vote. She has the baggage with the Russians all the way back to 2016. How do you think this is going to play with the crazy Bernie Alexander Ocasio-Cortez wing of the Democrat Party? A billionaire teaming up with a corrupt cheat who kicked Crazy Bernie to the curb in 2016. You think Crazy Bernie's people just going to sit there, stand idly by? Crazy Bernie may not be a fighter, but Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez and the squad certainly are. If Boomberg buys the nomination, if he goes out there and does this and puts Hillary Clinton on his ticket as his running mate, he goes in there, floods the market, and buys it. Hello, third party. They're not going to put up with it this time. Crazy Bernie, Crazy Bernie may have to be dragged, kicking, and screaming the third party, but they are not going to put up with it. But let's not forget who Hillary thinks that she is. You think she would literally play second fiddle to Minnie Mike? I doubt it. I don't think she would do this if she literally had to be vice president. We're watching a party literally implode. The Democrat Party is imploding and disintegrating. It is a mass of chaos. It has an identity that it is trying once again to hide because it has not worked being open and upfront and honest about being socialist and communist. So they're once again trying to hide it. They don't have anybody. I'm telling you, the Democrat Party hierarchy is looking at their list of candidates, starting with the first 23 down to however many are left, and they don't see one of them who can win. Not one. Now, guess what the pre-pub is? On the, on the Nevada caucuses, it's going to be just like Iowa. We're not expecting results the same day. We're not expecting results in a day or two. How can that be accepted by Democrats? You run a caucus, you announce the winner. What do you mean we're not going to know for a couple of days? What do you mean it's the same sort of chaos we had in Iowa? Why? 
Who's in charge of this show? And the answer to that's a Democrat National Committee. Okay, a brief break. We'll come back and uh, resume with you on the phones. By the way, folks, before we go back to the phones, one thing, we have the audio sound by Michael Bloomberg. Now, this is at Oxford. This is nothing. I've been invited to speak at Oxford twice, and I turned it down both times because I thought it was a setup. Yeah, 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 way Way back in the 90s, way back in the 90s, when b- before Fox News started, before all this, they, yeah, when, and they invited me twice, and I thought it was a setup. It was during the Clinton years. I thought it was a total setup. I regret not doing it. I didn't go. If, they, well, uh, if they invited me to Oxford today, I don't know. They, they probably, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not angling for an invitation to Oxford. I'm just telling you, you know. It's, it's, I, I regret that I didn't accept the invitation, but it's not something I regret, regret, regret. I'm just saying I wish I'd done it now looking back on it. But I thought as a setup, like everything else, I mean, it's it's left-wing university extraordinaire, Oxford. You know, so I but I should have seen it as an opportunity to get their minds right, and I saw it instead as this. Anyway, Bloomberg was there. Bloomberg was addressing Oxford in 2016. And, folks, this is classic. We tell you constantly what leftists, Democrats, and liberals think of you. Now, Bloomberg has come along. He said all of this stuff publicly, and it has never made it into public media until now when he seeks. This stuff didn't even surface when he was running for mayor of New York. So here he is putting down farming. 98% of the world worked in uh, agriculture today. It's 2% in the United States. Now comes the information economy. And the information economy is fundamentally different because it's based okay, stop around... Stop the tape. This is, this is not the good stuff. The good stuff. He's talking about how easy it is to be a farmer. So all you got to do, you get some dirt and you get a seed and you put the seed in the dirt and you pour water on all that and here comes the corn stalk. And that's all you have to do. I can teach anybody to be a farmer in five minutes. He doesn't even know there are entire universities devoted to agriculture. He hasn't the slightest idea what it takes to farm. He hasn't the slightest idea what it takes to start a farm. He, hasn't the, he doesn't have the slightest. All he thinks is that it's dirt work. It's dirt work. It doesn't take much brain power. And it's easy. But when you do what Bloomberg does... When you report the news, when you're in news and information technology gatherings, why, that's where you need the big brains. I just think this is classic of, of the way leftists look at people in flyover countries. I can teach anyone to be a farmer. The skill for information technology is completely different. You need more gray matter. This is why he gravitates to the Democrat Party. He's a condescending elitist. He doesn't think that you have the brains to get through the day without his instructions, without him putting limits on how much Coke you can drink. He doesn't just think farmers are stupid. He thinks you're too stupid to be trusted with salt shakers and sodas, not to mention guns. That's the big one. And so Bloomberg is making it abundantly clear. Democrat Party is the home for people who want to control you and your daily life because they don't think you can do it. It's a dangerous, 
authoritarian political party. It's why it has to buy votes. It's why they have to fix elections and weaponize intelligence agencies and spy on political opponents because they do not, I don't care what anybody says, they do not represent the majority thinking in this country. This is Oxford, 2016, so four years ago. Anyway, another brief break here at the top, and I promise, I promise we'll get back from this break, and we'll head straight back to the phones. Don't go away, folks. All right, look, I know I said I'm going to get back to the phones, and I'm going to get back to the phones, but I got one more comment about this farmer business from Bloomberg and how easy it is and how he could teach anybody to do it. That, That is the height of arrogance, by the way. It's so easy, even I can teach anybody, meaning a non-farmer. Some of the um, some of the most brilliant people I know are farmers. You know who one of the most famous farmers in America is? Well, he's dead. I'm talking about people that are alive. Victor Davis Hanson, exactly right. He is a farmer in the Central Valley of California. He has been, his family has been in the farming business for a long time. He is also one of the most noted scholars at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. It is a conservative think tank. He is the expert on the Peloponnesian Wars. He is the expert on ancient Greek history, and philosophy. He can even tell you who the Greek version of Bill Clinton was, a man by the name of Alcibiades. Same kind of guy. Farmers today are some of the most, you know what they have to know? GPS. They have to understand global positioning satellites. They have to understand how to use computers. They have to be Internet savvy. They have to use cyber tools hourly to plant, to irrigate, to harvest. You just can't say, I'm going to grow some corn in the backyard. You can't say, you know, I love rice. I'm going to put some rice in my bed. You you know how water intensive rice is? Well, most people don't. And it is, it's a hit or miss proposition every year. I don't care whether we're talking about corporately owned agriculture or family farms. It's hit or miss. And Bloomberg doesn't even realize. Stop and think of it this way. 2% of the people in this country now produce what 98% use. That sounds pretty special to me. 2% of the population produce 98% of the food. How does that happen? If it's so easy to do, why isn't everybody doing it? Why isn't half the country in agriculture feeding the rest of the country and profiting to to the heavens from it? Hmm? Wonder why. What is it that makes Bloomberg think putting something in the ground is always going to grow? Or is going to grow and produce profitable food. I happen to know Victor Davis Hanson. He has spent his entire life on a farm while commuting to academia.
he has found he lives in both worlds. He lives in the world of academe with supreme intellect, elitist intelligence, and what have you. And he has told me that farmers, in his experience, are more inventive. They are more cammy. They have far more challenges to deal with every day than simply thinking about what you think about a specific issue. They have to be expert in markets. They have to be as informed as possible on the weather, on pests, labor, These are things that the elites never deal with. They never have to come in contact with. The closest they get to it is when it arrives on their dinner plate. And yet here's Bloomberg putting them all down like this. It's classic. Literally, here is Deborah in Detroit. Deborah, I'm glad you waited. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Thank you very much. Long-time listener. Here in the Detroit area, we are bombarded with Bloomberg commercials showing him and the wonderful work he's done with Obama. He's coming across like he's being, uh, you know, that Obama is totally backing him for all of the years that he's done things with him. And I'm getting sick and tired of it. And I'm getting sick and tired of friends who are liberals saying, oh, he's backed by Obama. And I say, no, he's not. Well, no, Obama hasn't backed anybody. But don't let that frighten you. Obama ends up backing people that lose. Only Obama endorsed Hillary big time. What happened to her? I know. But they want, you know, Bloomberg wants to give the impression that he has the Obama endorsement well, so that he pulls Michigan. Yeah, well, but South Carolina is the next step here. And that, that's that's. You ought to be running it. Why are you why are you tired of the ads? Is it the frequency? You just can't get away from them? Oh, or? Yeah. You, you know, I wake up in the morning to watch the, the news. He's there. You know, I'm retired. Watch the news in the afternoon. He's there. Uh, at night, if I happen to watch a program that's not on Netflix, he's there. It's like 24-7. Well, you know, the theory is that money is what wins in politics. It's uh, an age-old phrase that was uh, begun by a California uh, politico named Jesse Unruh. Money is the mother's milk of politics. People believe it, and that's why they think it's the answer to everything. And a lot of political consultants really think whoever has the most money is guaranteed to win because they got the most ads to run negative ads on opponents, and negative ads work. And and so that's it's just it's become almost uh, conventional wisdom. And yet we've not had somebody like Bloomberg spend this kind of money this far out. And it is an interesting laboratory type experiment because it is irritating people. I don't think you're alone being irritated by these ads. Yeah, and it's frustrating because he's riding Obama's coattail. So, like, OK, you keep so that. Look, I have a keen ear. When I talk to people, I hear what they say. And no matter my attempts to steer your call into various directions, I do it on purpose, you keep doubling back to what really irritates you by this is that this guy's trying to tie himself to Obama. So you really don't like Obama, right? No, I don't. And you are afraid of Obama? You're afraid Obama's got some mystical powers in the next election? 
No, not afraid of him, just disappointed in friends who think he's so magical. And if if Obama thinks... Well, he was. He's the magic Negro. I mean, that that was a column in the Los Angeles Times, Barack the Magic Negro. I quoted the piece. They they think I wrote it, by the way, but I didn't. I know. (laughs) I've listened to you for 25 years. (laughs) Yes, Al Sharpton. Barack the Magic Negro. That's one of my favorite all-time parodies that we've done on this show. And And believe me, I've been harassed for 25 years. (laughs) By? Uh, people I work with, because I listen to you. you oh, know, you've been harassed because you're a ditto head. Yes. But yes. see, you've hung in there. You've hung in there, and you probably dish it right back. I do. I do. But sometimes it gets a little frustrating. That's well, why I keep telling people. Can I guess why Obama it gets frustrating? Hasn't endorsed anybody. I guess I'll I'll bet you it's frustrating because the things they say, you know, they've never listened. You know, they don't even know what they're talking about. That's what frustrates you. Uh, A person from a a family member from Boston that came for Thanksgiving two years ago. I mentioned your cochlear implant because a member in the family was having surgery and was going to lose their hearing. And I was saying nothing political that it changed your life because you got to continue to do what you loved. And later in the evening, uh, a member of the family said, who lives in Boston, uh, you know what we people in Boston say about people that listen to Rush? And I said, no, tell me. And they didn't finish their sentence. Hmm. You know, Hmm. it wasn't political. It was, this is something that changed your life because this is your livelihood. And that's a good thing. Well, that ticked Whether them you're off, Republican though. Republican or Democrat or uh, anything. Let me tell you, they were praying that I would stay deaf. They were praying it would be <laughs> the end of the EIB network. That's just what they yeah. did. Anyway, don't worry about these ads. These ads are probably affecting a lot of people the way uh, they are affecting you. Understand that Bloomberg has to do this because he doesn't have a delegate yet. He hasn't entered this. To, he, is he even going to debate these people? Have they built the box for him to stand on at the debate? These are questions to which we don't yet have any answers. Welcome back, my friends. L. Rushmore meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. And I do that just by showing up. Ray in Detroit again. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Hey, Rush, it's an honor to speak to you, man. Thank you, sir. I uh, just got a quick one for you. Uh, you know, if by some chance Bloomberg uh, were to uh, take the nomination and pick Hillary as his running mate, what do you think his life expectancy would be? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd be fine um, uh, because he would he would willingly, I think, transfer enough power to her to keep her placated. Okay, well, I almost tend to differ, but... Because uh, I, I think Bloomberg just wants to go down to his houses in the Bahamas or wherever and and, uh, and, and play golf and sit there and fume about Trump or whatever. Right. Um, I don't think he wants the gig so much as he wants to kick Trump out of it. And, good. and, and if, uh, if, if, if he has to end up empowering Hillary Clinton to do that, then he'll do it. I get your point. I get your point. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for you to answer in your own way. 
Sometimes I have to hold back. By the way, you know what we haven't talked about yet? No, 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 Barr. I know we haven't talked about Barr. That is so much ado about nothing. It is It is nothing more than the latest Ukraine, Russia. There's nothing here, folks. Nothing that you think about this, if you've got your information from the drive-by media, is correct. Trump did not influence anything inside the Justice Department regarding the reaction to the suggested sentence to Roger Stone. Trump's tweet about that came after those stupid prosecutors threatened to resign. Trump didn't have anything to do with it. I'll get to that in a minute. How about Avenatti? How about Michael Avenatti? Here is a guy. This guy was on CNN more than anybody two years ago. This guy was at every CNN party. He was on every CNN show multiple times. He was feted. He was hosted by CNN. He was promoted. He was trumpeted. There were people, and I'm not making this up because I commented on it at the time. There were people who were actually touting Michael Avenatti as the Democrat nominee for 2020 as the only guy who could beat Trump. And, you know, and there were even Republicans, serious, never-Trump Republicans, who were touting Avenatti because Avenatti is the same kind of guy as Trump, a reprobate, a louse, a moral embarrassment, whatever. They said, if this is what the American people want to elect as president, maybe Avenatti is the perfect guy. Anyway, all these CNN people, he was a resident at CNN. He practically lived there. The guy was a fraud. He was a phony. He was an extortionist. He was stealing his own client's money, including Stormy Daniels, who probably didn't have that much money to begin with. He tried to extort Nike. He was literally stealing clients' money from the trust account that lawyers have to set up for their clients. And he was finally found guilty and convicted on numerous charges, and all these people at CNN are shocked. They can't believe it. Jeffrey Tubin, who is a lawyer and a legal analyst, and was telling us the Russians colluded with Trump, and the Russians were using Trump, and Trump might have been a traitor, Trump might have been a Russian. It's, this guy was following everything Avenatti did as though it was gospel. And he says, you know what? I feel kind of snookered. I took Avenatti seriously. Jeffrey Tuman admitted during a segment that he felt snookered because of how he had previously taken Avenatti seriously when he was Stormy Daniels' lawyer. Tubin recalled how Avenatti was at CNN a lot. He was on there a lot. I remember once at the peak of all this, we went to lunch in Midtown. When our offices were in Midtown, we walked back together to CNN. It was like walking with a major, major celebrity. People came up to him. It's like, you know, go for it. Go get Trump. You know, he had this hashtag, Basta. People remember that. And at the peak of this, he even announced he was considering running for president. He went to Iowa, went to New Hampshire. I mean, the crazy, you peep, Mr. Tubin, why do you think he was able to do this? Because you and everybody in the drive-bys are so consumed with hatred for Trump that you will end up granting credence and credibility to charlatans like this, if all they have to do, you think, is defeat Donald Trump, you embarrass yourselves with this stuff. I want to send out uh, get-well-fast wishes to Elton John. He had to 
walk off the stage in Auckland, New Zealand. He performed with walking pneumonia. He took the stage, having been diagnosed walking pneumonia earlier in the day. 25-song set, got through 15 of them and lost his voice, left the stage in tears, apologized to everybody. Uh, Pneumonia, walking pneumonia, uh, not fun. I can't believe he took the stage with the stuff. Anyway, we hope that he gets well fast. We'll be back. Our final broadcast hour coming up. Hey, welcome back. Greetings. Great to have you with us as always, my friends. Rush Limboy here at the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. This is the most listened to radio talk show in the country because of you and the gratitude is never ending from us to you for making that a reality. Profound appreciation. And look forward to chatting with you as the final busy broadcast hour commences. 800-282-2882. If you Want to be on the program? I am your highly trained broadcast... Actually, not highly trained, highly instinctive and naturally talented uh, broadcast specialist at 800-282-2882. So we have the Nevada caucuses coming up. Politico had a story yesterday, a complete disaster. This is the headline. Fears grow over potential Nevada caucus malfunction. Now, what is it with these people? I thought they were so great at organizing. I thought that's what they did. I thought the Democrats were these great community organizers. and organ- I thought they were indomitable. I thought the Democrats had this stuff down pat that nobody could compete with them. Iowa caucuses go belly up, and now they're predicting the same thing in Nevada. Volunteers complain of poor training for a vote reporting system that was adopted on the fly. One volunteer said to Politico, there were old ladies looking at me like, oh, we're going to have iPads? After sitting through the two-hour training session, the person predicted the caucus would be a complete disaster because nobody knows how to use the devices they're going to use to tabulate and count the votes. Another volunteer who will be in a senior position at a caucus site. Now, you know what that means. Senior position. Most people think old. No, no, no. Senior means very high-ranking position. A volunteer who will be in a very high-ranking position at the caucus site said that as of February 11th, the party had failed to provide updated training sessions for caucus day to many people who'd been preparing to use the now-scrapped apps. Recently, the volunteer did take a refresher course for early voting, but it diverged significantly from the initial training we were practically starting from scratch. Now, see, this is this is stuff that's really hard for people to believe. This is what causes people to start thinking fraud, uh, rigging, cheating, and make no mistake about something. I mean, I can't I can't prove this. This is just my political instinct and experience, guided by intelligence, and that is that this party is still trying to figure out. How to get rid of Bernie Sanders. 
They are living in abject fear that this guy is going to be the nominee because they think he's going to go down in a massive landslide defeat. I think they're missing the boat. I, th- I think these Democrats may not even know their own base because a party is what its base is. And I'm telling you, the Democrat Party base is a leftist, revolutionary, extremist bunch. And there is nothing moderate about them. There isn't anything mainstream about them. And Bernie is tapping into them. And he is 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 really reverberating and it's got them it's got them worried because they still are trying to present themselves as something that uh, that they aren't. And they only have themselves to blame for their base becoming what they've become. I mean, the base is what they think the Democrat Party is. I mean, what what created the Democrat Party base? Was the base there and then the party comes along and mirrors it? Or does the base mirror the party? And I would tell you it is the latter. The spokespeople for this party, the power brokers of this party, the people in the drive-by media, these are all left-wing radicals. They are the identity of the Democrat Party. It's no wonder Crazy Bernie is doing as well as he is. Nate Silver, 538. This is a super analysis of the polling data that's out there. And as far as Nate Silver is concerned, it's Bernie Sanders all the way. Sanders is in the lead in Nevada, South Carolina, California, Texas, North Carolina, Virginia, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Colorado, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Utah, Maine, Vermont, Klobuchar, is winning Minnesota because that's where she's from, and Biden is winning Alabama, and that's it. Crazy Bernie looks like he's going to be the nominee if they can't find a way to stop him. And make no mistake, Bloomberg is part of that effort. Let's go to the audio sound bites. Some uh, very creative political people in South Carolina have been inspired by me. And by this program, last Thursday night, CNN, the lead with Jake Tapper, portion of the correspondent Lauren Fox, her report about the South Carolina Republican Party planning an Operation Chaos-style campaign against the Democrats. Conservatives in South Carolina pushing for Republican voters to disrupt the upcoming Democratic primary. You know, I guess you could call it uh, meddling. One grassroots organizer, Christopher Sullivan, calling it, quote, Operation Chaos, a nod to Rush Limbaugh's 2008 effort to encourage Republicans to vote in Democratic primaries and keep Hillary Clinton in the race longer to hurt Barack Obama. I would love to see the Democrats, whoever wins the South Carolina Democrat primary, for everybody else to accuse him of having stolen the election because he was actually elected with Republican support and therefore prolong the uh, chaos and the disruption. Folk, do not doubt me. This Operation Chaos business, that's 12 years ago, and it is still an indelible force on their minds. They can't get over it. They Here you have a reporter who can describe Operation Chaos perfectly while at the same time slandering and libeling me over racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobic stuff. So they know the truth. They know what Operation Chaos is, and they hate it. And they hate it because it worked in a couple of states. Uh, Plus, it was creative. 
So now here's here we go to Biden now, who has decided apparently, Mr. Snurdly, to run against me. And I guess, I guess it's the house is going to raise uh, money. Poor old plugs running against me. Again, I'm going to blame a loss in South Carolina on Operation Chaos. It's the same reporter. It's, uh, it's Lauren Fox from CNN last Thursday night. It's also the latest obstacle for Joe Biden, who needs a victory in South Carolina to bolster his campaign. The campaigns have caught the attention of Biden's team, including surrogate and state senator Marlon Kimson. He says Republicans in the state fear Joe Biden in a one-on-one matchup with Trump. They are trying to interfere with this election to choose the weakest candidate because they know without cheating, Donald Trump will not be reelected. Now, there are some people, I have to tell you, there are some people who, I don't know if it's still the case today, but as recently as a couple of months ago, really thought Biden would present the biggest problem to Trump. Now, I don't, I never have thought that. I've never subscribed to it, but there are a lot of Republicans who do because they're, they're big believers in this, in this myth of this great unwashed bunch of moderates and centrists. And in their world, Republicans cannot possibly get moderates or centrists because Republicans are too extreme. So I think moderates and centrists automatically go to Democrats. I think Biden would be a magnet for them, and that's why they believe that Biden was always going to be the toughest opponent for Trump. I, I, I don't think Biden would last one half of a debate with Trump, but I could be wrong about this. Speaking of Biden, let's listen to a Joe Biden ad. This is Wednesday on his Twitter page. We don't feel no ways tired. We've come too far from where we started. What's this? Nobody told me the road would be easy. And I don't believe he brought me this far to stop now. You don't like what's going on in this country. You only have one thing to do. Work. Together we can and will win. Let's take back this country now. I mean, that's a direct rip off of Hillary. Hillary went down to Soma. I ain't no way tired trying to talk with a black dialect. Obama even tried. You know, he doesn't speak with a black dialect, but he he, he put one on down there. What year would that have been? About 2016, 2015, 14, whatever. But here's about it. We don't feel no way tired. We come too far. For... What saps do they think these voters are? Here comes Joe Biden with plugs, trying to sound like great African-American historical figures as the ultimate in pandering. Oh, Jack Reed. Jack Reed is a senator from Democrat Rhode Island. And a lot of people have been, why did Pelosi rip up Trump's State of the Union speech? Why did she do it? It's been two weeks now. And they're still talking about it. Now they're blaming me for this. WJAR-TV 10 News Conference. The guest senator, Jack Reed, the question after the State of the Union, Pelosi tore up the speech. I've heard bipartisan criticism of that. Would you be critical of her for doing that? I think she was so frustrated by a State of the Union speech that was really a reality TV show. When you present Rush Limbaugh, the Medal of Freedom... At the end of that, I think she was overcome by frustration. (laughs) They are making my day. 
making my day. If I if I can if I could uh, lay claim for the credit for Pelosi ripping up that speech. I've had so many people. What 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 did it look like? You were there. You watched it. What did it look like? It it folks. It it didn't happen as prominently. It happened afterwards, and it was, you know, she had little little tears in it beforehand because she's not strong enough to rip the page from the scratch. So she had to have cheats, little start rips to make it look. But it was all a show, and it was really pathetic. Uh, but again, that that's what they think their base wants to see. And I don't doubt that she's personally as frustrated by the inability they've all faced at getting Trump for four years. Uh, Andrew Weissman. Andrew Weissman is the lead lawyer investigator to Mueller team. Mueller was a figurehead. Weissman was the the guy. Weissman has um, is a well-known figure in the Department of Justice. He has been involved in a number of cases that suspicious and dubious. He's been sanctioned by a federal judge. Many of his cases have been overturned in toto by the U.S. Supreme Court. And he's a dyed-in-the-wool leftist Democrat, pro-Hillary, despises Trump, and was actually the, the brains behind the Mueller investigation. It was Weissman that really ran that show. Mueller was a figurehead. And what's interesting here is that, according to Jim Hoft at Gateway Pundit, Andrew Weissman actually told Chuck Todd uh, that that the new investigation this week initiated by the Attorney General involving the U.S. Attorney in St. Louis, Jeff Jensen, Andrew Weissman says this is actually a ruse to investigate Comey, McCabe, and Struck, Stroke, Smirk. Now, Jeff Jensen is the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Missouri. He has been appointed by Barr to investigate something or other. And Weissman is out saying that this is and Barr may be having something up his sleeve and may be running a distraction operation here. By getting all agitated about the Roger Stone case and the sentencing, I mean, may actually be running another Durham type investigation. Because Friday, Bill Barr assigned Jeff Jensen, the U.S. Attorney, Eastern District of Missouri, he lives and works in St. Louis, to review the abusive case against Michael Flynn. Barr also assigned a handful of prosecutors to review other cases in the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. And, uh, and, and of course, Weissman is out telling people that this is a new investigation into Comey, McCabe, and Peter Strzok, Strzok, Smirk. Nah, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think with Weissman saying so, I think there's probably some validity to it. And I think there are still people quaking in their boots over it. Now, I know that McCabe just got a pass. And I think that's a bad, bad thing. I think it's a... It presents a bad picture. It it cements the idea that if you're in the FBI, you can lie to Congress. You can lie to the FBI, and you can you can you can lie on 302s. You can you can change 302s. You can you can lie to the FISA court. Nothing in the world's going to happen to you. You're going to get a pass. But you be like Martha Stewart. You lie to these investigators or Michael Flynn, and you're gone to jail for years, six months to years. 
You get hired by CNN as a commentator when everybody knows that you were one of the ringleaders of this very unconstitutional coup that was designed to create the idea that Trump was a traitor and cheating with the Russians to steal the 2016 election. It's outrageous. But at the same time, I, I, would, I don't think McCabe is in the clear. I think he's been cleared of a process crime lying to the FBI. But I don't think he's escaped vulnerability yet. But McCabe is out there. McCabe is out there. It's outrageous that I would be investigated for two years by the department. It's outrageous, McCabe. You think it's outrageous what you tried to do to Trump? The arrogance of these people, it it makes me fume. And I got to take a break. I just saw the clock. Sit tight. We've got much more straight ahead when we get back. Sally is in Orlando. Been waiting quite a while. I appreciate that. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hi. Oh, hello, Mr. Rush Limbaugh. What an honor and a privilege to speak with you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, my goodness. My prayers to you and your family. Um, Rush, I I was at the Daytona 500 yesterday. Uh I just want to share with you, I've never been to a Trump uh, rally, although I do support um, our president. It was like 100,000 people at a Trump rally. You could not look anywhere without seeing a MAGA hat, Trump attire, T-shirts, flags. Everywhere you went, everything you looked at, it was all about Donald J. Trump. And, and not only that, the one thing that caught my attention was the amount of millennials, young people, wearing Trump gear. And then, pushing that aside as well... Well, they're just a bunch of banjo-playing deliverance kids as far as the media is concerned. That's no big deal. Oh, my goodness. It was unbelievable. But but I, I, I was so in awe when Air Force One flew around the track. Let me tell was that is that not how you enter a room, the way Donald Trump arrived at Daytona yesterday? Oh, my goodness. Talk about goosebumps. There, uh, I said to my, my husband said to me, he said, Sally, he said, I have goosebumps. Look at the goosebumps. I'm like, I have goosebumps. The lady next to, to him said, I have goosebumps. We all had goosebumps. It was amazing. And then to see the beast out on the track with all of the drivers in their cars and making the circle around, it, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know what else it was? What's up? It was a celebration of fossil fuels because oh they yeah. are awesome. And Trump does it with the kind of flair one would expect from Hollywood. The beast and all these people. I think it's very unpresidential to use the presidential limo in such a commercial enterprise as, as lead pace car to begin the I think it's absolutely horrible. And I thought it was great. Daryl Waltrip, was, he was, I guess, it was originally going to drive the thing. And in the that. Secret Service, said, nope, nope, nope. Nobody drives the president but us. You can, you can, you can be here as a as a as a standby or what have you. Uh, I, it, it was just phenomenal. I, it was so exciting, electrifying, is what it was. It was just, I've, I, I'm in my fifties, and um, I have never experienced such grand excitement. And let me tell you about event. that. That is exactly right. You remember? You're old enough, Sally. I remember a time when it seemed like it was the Democrats that were having all the fun. The Democrats 
were the ones that were partying and having a grand old time. Those are our jets now when they would fly over Bill Clinton's inauguration. But now look at it. The Democrats can't stand comedians. They can't stand comedy. They can't stand sporting events. They can't stand the flag being honored. They don't like Fourth of July parties. And they don't like a lot of joyous Americans celebrating their president and their country by driving a presidential limo around Daytona 500's track. And they used to be the people everybody thought were having a good time. They used to be thought of as the partiers. JFK, Clinton, all this. Now look at them. Anyway, I'm glad you called, Sally. Thanks much. And we will be right back with much more after a brief bottom of the hour obscene profit timeout. Do not go anywhere. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network, and kicking off a brand new week of broadcast excellence. Now, this next soundbite is interesting. It is from last Wednesday, which was the last day last week that I was here. And that's when this Roger Stone stuff hit with the news about the seven to nine years as the sentence and so forth. And what's interesting about this, and Cookie put this together, I had some comments about it on the program on Wednesday. Then after the program ended, the president went out and made some comments about it. And it is, well, it's it's kind of uncanny how similar they are. So we call this A-B, side-by-side comparison. You will hear me from my program on Wednesday, then Trump after the program. Then back to me on the program Wednesday, then more Trump. And then back to me on the program Wednesday and then Trump afterwards. And I get one, two, three. Three each. Three me, three Trump. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Nine-year sentence for a guy, that means he's going to die in jail for something that nobody in this country can name that he did. Roger Stone for doing, nobody even knows what he did. They put him in for nine years. It's a disgrace. Roger Stone's crime boils down to him having tweeted congratulations to WikiLeaks when they published the DNC email. Somebody said he put out a tweet, and the tweet, you based it on that. If you beat somebody up while snatching their purse or wallet, that's a year and a half to two years. Roger Stone was given seven to nine years. We have killers, we have murderers all over the place, nothing happens. And then they put a man in jail and destroy his life, his family, his wife, his children. Nine years in jail. It's a disgrace. Kind of, kind of interesting there that the uh, comments are so parallel, even though mine came hours before the president. I'm not saying anything about it. No, I'm just pointing out how you know, it's an interesting side-by-side comparison. And the conclusion is obvious, by the way. It's one of the reasons why they are similar. Now, Thursday night, ABC News website, Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas interviewing Bill Barr, the Attorney General. Uh, Question, U.S. Attorney for D.C. signed off on the sentencing recommendation that went in there. How did this happen? When I first saw the news reports, I said, gee, the news is spinning this. This is not what we were uh, going to do. And... uh, Once I confirmed that that's actually what we filed, I said that night to my staff that we had to get ready because we had to do something in the morning to amend that and clarify what our position was. I had made a decision that I thought was fair and reasonable uh, in this particular case. And uh, once the tweet occurred, the question is, well, 
Uh, now what do I do? Do you go forward with what you think is the right decision, or do you pull back because of the tweet? And that just sort of illustrates how disruptive these tweets can be. Now, this comment has a whole lot of Trump supporters living. That bar would, would, would undercut Trump like this because it has there, – there's a there's – a, I forget the guy's name, a lawyer in the DOJ, who has made it clear – that the reaction to the seven to nine years in the justice by Barr and his people happened before Trump's tweet. Which makes sense. It's an outrageous sentence. Everybody knows what this is. These are Mueller holdover prosecutors trying to get something out of their two years. It is an abject joke that they've got nobody but Michael Flynn and Manafort and now Roger Stone. Roger Stone had nothing to do with anything other than wishing he was involved. And again, do not misunderstand me. I'm not being critical or cracking wise about Roger Stone. I'm just telling you he's a non-player here. He didn't have anything to do with anything, but he would love it if people thought he did. I mean, look what happened when the FBI and CNN raided his home at 6 a.m. He came out of there flashing the Richard Nixon victory signs. He loved the attention. He's been a political consultant uh, and raconteur. He gets interviewed for his wardrobe sartorial collection in GQ and this kind of stuff. But he was a non-factor in any of this. And the fact that these guys went after him and Jerome Corsi is evidence they had nothing. And to give him seven to nine years, all he did, all Stone did, was tweet congratulations to WikiLeaks. Now, when they interviewed him about it, he probably, in, in trying to add flair and be part of the story, he probably exaggerated a little bit. They can chalk that up to lying. Here comes a process crime seven to nine years for uh, somebody that would have nothing to do with it. And and nobody had anything to do with anything here because there wasn't any Trump-Russia meddling. There was none. This seems to have everybody escaped everybody's mind. There wasn't anything that happened here. Every bit of this was a bogus manufactured attempt by the Hillary Clinton DNC people, Washington elites, to try to get Trump. So seven to nine years, you didn't need a tweet from Donald Trump to know this was outrageous, and Barr's admitting it here. But what he's saying is when Trump tweeted about it, that that makes it look like we're, we're responding to what Trump did. We can't have that. And Trump is standing his ground. Trump is saying, look at I'm going to tweet about whatever I want to tweet about it. If I think a DOJ is doing something wrong, I'm going to tweet about it. I don't care. And there are people trying to tell the president, look, uh, Barr's one of your guys here. Got to you know, back off. Don't, don't. It, it's, been a, it's been a battle here. But it, it, it's, it's all a much ado, folks, about nothing because nothing happened here. The Manafort stuff happened long before he even joined the Trump campaign, and it had to do with influence peddling in Ukraine. And Roger Stone, I mean, have you ever known anybody in your life 
who's an outsider but wants so desperately to be thought of as a player that they'll do anything? Well, that's what we're dealing with here. And I, Stone's a nice guy. He's harmless. Uh, he's had his moments as a political consultant back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. Uh, and he knows Trump and so forth. But he couldn't possibly have had any role in any of this because there wasn't anything to any of this. There wasn't anything in him. There was never a crime. There was never any collusion. There was never any obstruction. All of this is literally bogus, and that's what Trump is reacting to. And it's what Barr was reacting to. There's one more Barr soundbite here, uh, again, from the same ABC website interview on Thursday night. Pierre Thomas says, so you're saying you have a problem with Trump's tweets. I have a problem uh, with some of the tweets. I'm happy to say that, in fact, the president has never asked me to do anything in a criminal case. However, to have public statements and tweets made about the department, about uh, people in the department, our men and women here, about cases pending in the department, and about judges before whom we have cases, uh, make it impossible uh, for me to do my job. I'm not going to be bullied or influenced by anybody, and whether it's Congress, newspaper, editorial boards, or the president. I'm going to do what I think is right. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I, I, I understand what's... What's going on here? Understand both sides of this. I'm, I'm look. I've got to take a break. I'm looking at the clock. We'll come back. We've uh, we got we got somebody up here thinks I'm totally wrong about all this. I'm not sure why. So we'll try to get to the bottom of that. People on the phone. So hang on. Coming right back after this. Don't go away. Okay, Lynchburg, Virginia. Nathan, great to have you with us, sir. Hello. Hey, Rush. Hey. Uh, glad to talk to you, man. Listen, let me get straight to the point. With 1,100 uh, Department of Justice, ex-Department ex of Justices, who were part of the Mueller investigation, saying they condemned the Department of Justice and William Barr, and they won his impeachment, call for his impeachment. How long do you think William Barr has before he has to subside to the liberal agenda in D.C.? And uh, as far as his career is concerned, is he going to continue with Trump after these, t- after these tweets? And uh, will Mitch McConnell also... Uh, look at what's really going on and stop publicly humiliating our president as far as that's concerned because he wasn't a big fan of Trump to begin with. Okay, what's uh, Mitch doing? No, wait, not, not, I, look, I need information that you have that I don't have to render an opinion. What's Mitch McConnell done to humiliate Trump? What did well, I miss? He, he, he retweeted with that whole tweet uh, about that, that uh, Donald Trump should probably stop tweeting thus defeating the meat. Look, the reason why Donald Trump tweets, we all know, all of us normal people, is because he bypasses the media. He's destroying the media. We understand that. That's exactly right. Exactly. So for for anyone to discourage him from from tweeting... Look, let me me give you a reality on the ground here that that this is going to be... Some of you may not want to hear it. Uh, You may be hoping for something different. But let me tell you something that has not changed no matter what else has gone on here. And you know it. You know it, Nathan. I can tell your voice. The bottom line is, folks, that I don't care where you go in Washington, D.C. The vast majority of them wish Donald Trump wasn't there, including Republicans. And that's why all of this stop tweeting stuff, because it's embarrassing them. 
It's outside the norms. It's no different than when those ambassadors testified. Why Trump is Trump is not listening to the interagency group. He's doing his own foreign policy. He ignored our talking points. Yeah, and for that we impeach him. No, we fire you. You're by. You're gone. Goodbye. Ambassadors, goodbye, Vinman. Now, we think that these people need to pay a price for this kind of sabotage, but they're not going to pay a price. Vindman's not going to be disciplined for doing what he did, apparently. I know how that ticks you all off. The only way that Trump survives this is with all of our continued support for the guy. We are it. As long as he has enough support to get reelected, all they can do is whine and moan and complain. But they're going to do that, folks. Now, I, you know, the, the, the tweeting is, is especially something that bugs these people. Now, I intellectually understand why it bothers them, because it's so outside the norms of what is considered presidential comportment and behavior and so forth. Trump is not violating any constitutional regulation or law or any statutory law with any of his tweeting on these cases. And anything having to do with Russia, where people are being punished and sentenced to jail, he ought to call out on it because it is absurd that anybody has gone to jail for any of this. Because all that's happened is process crimes. There would not have been any crimes had there not been this foolish investigation which was nothing more than a coup. Now, these 1,100 uh, former DOJ, they're all left-wing former lawyers doing what is a common trick. Somebody writes a letter, thousands of people sign it, give it to CNN and the New York Times, and they report it as somehow the greatest minds in America think Bill Barr ought to resign. Barr is not going to be intimidated by any of this. I don't think Barr's going to go leftist on it. I don't think he's going I just, to. I just don't see that. I'm out of time. I wish I could elaborate, and I'll, I will tomorrow, I promise. But I've just run out of time right now. Folks, it's not complicated. They hate Trump's tweets because it is Trump speaking directly to you without any filters. And they can't do it. They don't have large enough loyal support bases that it would matter who they tweet or what they say. It's 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 the same reason that they hate me. I have direct access to you without having to go through the drive-bys. Anyway, have a great rest of the day, and we'll be right back here tomorrow, revved and ready to do it all over again.